0: You know this fight can be won, right? We can win this battle. You know that, don't you? That's why you're here. You know that we can put a stop to suffering. And that enough is enough. Because now we have a path. You know what to do. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Doesn't that feel good? Don't you feel confident? I want you to. This is doable. Very much so. And I can see all of you making an effort to whatever extent and whatever degree you can. You are applying yourself to this cause. You are trying to make the causes meet and align those causes to come out of this endless samsara. You know when people come out of a divorce for instance. Especially if they do so because they, they've been cheated. If you've ever been there or you know someone who's been through that, just think about how much of a relief they feel when they come out of it. Or when they come out of a bad relationship, not necessarily a marriage but any other relationship, someone they thought was their best friend, but then they got betrayed. And then you come out of that once you figure out that you were cheated on. You were betrayed. And the feeling that you get. Or when you've worked your socks off maybe 20, 30, 40 years of your life at the same place. And then they ultimately make you what? What's that, what's that word? Yeah, yeah the, the R word. Redundant. And they make you redundant. How do you feel? Betrayed. Because you've given your life and soul to that place. Some of you may have this experience. Over the last 10 years, 15 years, we saw a lot of that going on. When there was economic crisis, a lot of people I've seen, especially when I used to work in the city... A lot of people working out of big buildings with nothing more than a box, with all of their contents and belongings in that. As you walk into the city, get out of the tube station and walk into the city, you see people coming out of big buildings, big glass buildings, and you come and talk to some of them, and you ask them, how long have you been working at that place? I used to work with people who'd been in the same company for the best part of 20 years. And they feel like without a second thought, that's how they feel. Not necessarily how the organization might have treated them or seen their case, but that's how they feel. 20 years of having given their life, 20 years of having sacrificed their family life even, maybe time with their children, And working honestly, sincerely for that one workplace and then they get kicked out. They feel utterly betrayed. Now think about sansar. If you think your workplace making you redundant is such a terrible thing to do. If you feel that after 20 years of marriage, you're finding out that your husband or your wife has cheated on you. And then you feel betrayed... That's only a commitment you've made for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. But what was your commitment to Sansara? What was your commitment to Sansara? How long? Sansara long, right? Don't you feel betrayed? You've given your everything to Sansara. Every effort that you made. You made in the hope that something positive will come out of it. You made in the hope that happiness will ultimately be yours. You made in the hope that someday fulfillment and satisfaction would come your way. A sansara's worth of time plus whatever your life is. What's come out of it? Nothing at all. This is the biggest betrayal. That's why I feel motivated and I feel inspired to defeat this dragon. This is, a, this is an ugly beast. And I want you to feel that way. It is your own wrongdoing and your misdoing that has kept you in samsara, nothing else. You know, this is like a prison with the gate always open. You just have to walk out of it. But people don't see it that way. When you feel that someone's trapped you in it, you feel that you are a victim. That is not so. This is like a prison with the door open. You can walk out anytime. So that also means you walked in. Because the door is always open. It just requires you to come to your senses that this is a prison after all. And then once you realize that, you pick up and leave. That's why the Buddha says, it is because of pleasure people stick. People still hang around. That's why they stick around. Despite all the adversities that life throws at you, despite all the grievances and the sorrows and the fears and the anxieties and the pain that samsara throws at you, just a modicum of pleasure keeps you trapped in, makes you feel that you have to be here, makes you feel that you have to hang around. You were betrayed. You were fooled. You were tricked. So now you have to fight this battle with yourself. No one else to fight. You have to fight this battle yourself. Because you got yourself into it. All by yourself. That is why the only path out of this ladies and gentlemen is to understand the Dhamma. See each one to themselves isn't it? Although we are all here as a group, it's each one to themselves. Your son, sir? That he's by himself. Each one to themselves. Because each one came in here by themselves. No one brought anyone else here. By here I mean? Sansar. No one brought anyone else here. It's not that the mother and father brought the child into sansara. No, he was already in sansara. They just gave birth and therefore a chance to get out of it. That is why motherhood and fatherhood is precious to a child. A fighting chance against sansara. But we got ourselves into it. For one reason and one reason alone. You were deluded. Something that is not true you thought was true and the truth seemed to be a lie or at least you didn't come across the truth and now you are paying the price for it. So every time you have had to suffer, every time you have had to be in fear, every time you have been disappointed, all these frustrations, all these things, these are all the consequences of your bad decisions. But alas. You didn't know that you were even making those decisions. You didn't have anyone to question those decisions. Today, every decision you make, every thought that comes into your mind, perhaps there's another voice at the back of your head going, Ah, is this what Guru Hanuman asks us to do? Every time you lift a finger now, especially if it's the one that you're pointing out, you're always reminded, Ah, it's not that way. Because now someone's questioning your decisions. Someone's questioning your reasoning. Someone's questioning your thought process. Someone's questioning whether what you're doing is right or wrong. This is Kalyanamitra association. So now that you have noble association, ladies and gentlemen, you must feel confident that this is doable. It never was until this time. It never was. Plenty of Buddhas have come and gone and you're still in samsara. Hey, well done. Yes, Buddhas came and went, but they never came into your life. Your dhammam pasati, somam Offering alms to a Buddha is not you coming across one. Because the figure of the Buddha is not the Buddha. This is not a Buddha. This is a statue. Even if you saw the Buddha in flesh and bones, that is still not the Buddha. The Buddha has yet to enter your life. You encounter the Buddha once you listen to his teaching. In fact, you see the Buddha once the Buddha is born within. Did I tell you the other day someone asked me, where was the Buddha born? uh, Yes, absolutely. We get these questions from time to time, especially to new audiences. So we give them a bit of a talk, like what we do at the monastery, usually when we get visitors. You people don't ask such questions anymore. You're all right. Because to you now you understand where the Buddha was born. And even even in the conventional sense, it doesn't matter to you anymore where the Buddha was born. Because that is for historians, not for Nibbanians, is it? But from time to time you get you come across people and of course, you know, just curious. And the point is, sometimes, you know, it is based on your answer to that question, would they decide whether they go on to stay for the sermon or not. So do you realize with how much compassion we have to deal with them? It's not like if I get the answer right, he's going to give me some arms or a robe or something. If I get the answer right, he'll he'll stick around for the sermon. Who benefits from that? Me? But until you give the right answer, they don't hang around. They're not interested. So where was the Buddha born, people ask? Frankly, I don't know. The history books say that he was born somewhere. Then people's opinions they write in books and do talks and there's plenty of that. And you know where they are. So what is the truth? Where was the Buddha born? Frankly, I don't care. (laughs) Because there is only one place where I want the Buddha to be born. Where is that? Absolutely. Just where you want the Buddha to be born. So then it would be wrong for me to say that the Buddha was born here, because the Buddha apparently was born there, 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 and there, and there as well, wasn't it? So in every disciple, the Buddha is born. In every man, woman, and child who seeks refuge in the noble triple gem who accepts and acknowledges that nibbana is the only way happiness can only be found in nibbana i'll have you know that is where the buddha is born the buddha is born within you people look for the buddha outside they will never find the buddha buddha is happiness buddha is the truth Buddha is freedom. Buddha is liberation. Buddha is the meaning of life. Buddha is the purpose of existence. Buddha is why you got into sansara in the first place. Why are you in sansara? Today I ask you this question. Why are you in sansara? You know why I am in sansara? To get out of it. That's why I am still in sansara. I am here to get out of it. Why are you in sansara? If it's the same reason, then the Buddha has been born within you. But ask a lot of people, why are you in samsara? Some will say, what else can we do? I was born. Now I've got to be here. Now it's like when you get on the wrong train. Just think about the intercity. It doesn't stop at every stop. So if you get on the wrong train, (laughs) now, you have to wait until it gets to, the, it gets to the next stop. So someone comes and asks you, "Why are you on this train?" What's the answer? Now you're on the way to Colombo. You're but heading towards Badulla now. <laughs> on the train heading towards Badulla. So you're with someone. Someone someone gives you a call and asks you, "Where are you?" Well, I'm on the train. Where to? Badulla. But I thought you were going to Colombo today. Yes. Well, why are you on the Badulla train? What's the answer? What's the answer? Because I'm on the train. I somehow got myself onto it, and now I can't do anything about it. You know, some people think of sansara in the same way. Now that we are in sansara, what else can I do? Got to be here. Well, these are the people who say life has its ups and downs, and you just have to ride life as it comes. Just get used to the rhythm of life. Just have pity and compassion towards them because I was one of them. You know, when you realize that everyone's walked the same path that you have, all you have is just boundless compassion towards all of them. The Buddha had such infinite compassion. I say not just because he was the Buddha. Even while he was a Bodhisattva, he realized that all these sentient beings in all these worlds, they were once where he was. Even as he looked upon the Aviti. Hmm? Even as he looked upon the Aviti. And saw all those countless beings, suffering no end. I'm sure it would have flashed through his mind the number of times he must have been there himself. Even if he weren't the Buddha at that point, he would still have had compassion towards them. Because he knows what that feels like. So whenever you see people like this, it's not resentment we should have towards them. It's not mocking we should do at them. It's only compassion, loving kindness. These are the emotions, these are the feelings that we should extend towards them in the hope that we can give them something so that they can come further on that path and get onto the path that we are on. Don't you feel like you are human beings? You are just... Fountains of compassion on walking on two legs. Don't you honestly feel that way? Don't you feel that, you know, don't you think that strangers should bump into you from time to time? Don't you feel that way? That would be, it would do them much good if they did so. Hmm? I don't talk about, I'm not referring to the guy who was a few years ago or the man or the woman who was uh, several years ago. You know, when you were, ah, The wrong kind of guy to mess with. yeah. Back then, if someone were to bump into you, step on your toes, what would happen? They'd be sorry. But today, someone steps on your toe. You're on the bus, someone steps on your toe. What happens? Something bad or something good? Always something good. See, even stepping on your toe, now is a merit... (laughs) If their merits coming to fruition. If someone comes up to you and shouts at you, screams at you, tells you off for of something you haven't done, I want to feel and I want to think that you are like this. And correct me if I'm wrong, okay? I'd like to think that even if someone came up to you and vented their frustrations because they're really annoyed about something, something or the other, bad day at work, Wife upset him. Husband upset her. Oh, you're, you're at work. They meet you. They're a work colleague. And they walk up to you. And now they're just having a tantrum. right? They just take it out on you. They just, they're frustrated. They're annoyed. And they take it out on you. In your mind, you should be thinking, it's a good day for you. I feel like that. You know how many people have walked through these gates by this point the very people who foul-mouthed us many years ago, sometimes maybe a few months ago, who said all sorts of things about us, that we were Mahayanians for one, and then they said that we were we had Anagarika Mahatmyas up in the Kutis. You'd be surprised the things that people said. They've not even been that way. This is what people said. One on one occasion, you know, people actually came with machetes in their hand many, many, many years ago. When we first started this monastery, the very first day. The very first day. Guruhandra was doing a sermon in the Dhamma hall. And then there was a bit of a commotion. There was some noise coming from the outside. We wondered what there was. And then it was a bunch of drunk men. One guy with a machete in his hand. Now you see him walking up. Where are you going? To find the women. I say, okay. Let us know when you find one. We didn't stop there. Nothing to hide. This is the truth. What's there to hide? Now don't come asking me, can we also go up, Swami Nasa? But, you know, the very people who behaved in that manner, today walk through these gates. I'm reminded of, you know, back when the Buddha was there. Right? How many times might people have done the same? But, the point is this, folks, you know, I'm proud about the fact that We've been able to serve these people. Even those who came here waging war. I'm proud of that fact. And I feel like the Buddha were around, he'd be very proud of us. All of us. What we've been able to achieve. In having that sort of conduct towards them. When you can have compassion towards people who think that we are their enemies, but we don't have enemies. We're only friends. Always. Whether you like us or you hate us, we love you. Isn't that a good motto for life? Hmm? Whether you like us or you hate us, we love you. Because today you might like us, tomorrow you will hate us. That's okay. Today you like us a little bit. Tomorrow you like us a little bit more. And the day after, someone comes and says something bad about us. And then now you completely despise us. And you say, may they rot in here. That's okay, we love you. We're always prepared to show our love and affection. Because that is all we're entitled to. You know, Nibbana cannot be treating people the way that they treat you. It can't be that way. Because then it's conditional, isn't it? Wherever there's a conditional formation, that is not Nibbana. The only asankhata is Nibbana. Your love, your compassion, your kindness has to be unconditional. I'm sharing this with you because I want you to start asking these questions of yourself. Is your love to humanity unconditional? Do you only love your child? Is your your child special to you? What about the child next door? What about when your child is misbehaving? What about when your child is mischievous? Your children are a special case. But what about the child who picks up a fight with your child at school? And your child comes home and says, Amma, that boy, he stole my rubber. He hit me. He took my lunch. He took my lunch money. And I need you to come to school right now and speak to the principal. Can you sit down with your child and explain to him? Putha, just as much as I love you, I love that child. Because the moment you say that, your child is going to ask you, "Oh, How so? I am your son, and I'm complaining to you about a child who hit me. And you're telling me you love me as much as you love him, or you love him as much as you love me? How can that be so? Aren't you my mother? Whose mother are you? Then it's an opportunity to explain to your child what unconditional love is. You know, being the message is far more important than giving the message. Far more important. I feel, you know, very privileged to, to talk to people like yourselves. Those who've been on this journey for some time, especially you lot. You've been on this journey for some time and, and I feel you're you're transforming inside. And within, you know, th- those changes are, are taking place. I don't, I, honestly, I don't know what's going on outside these four walls. I, I hope you're in your best behavior. Huh? And you are a living, breathing specimen of the Buddha Sasana. Right? And you are a good advert for the Buddha Sasana. I hope you are all like that. And I trust and believe that you're all like that. But it's not enough for me to believe that that is who you are. I need you to actually be like that. Not just because it's good for society. That I just want I don't want you just to be a good person to society. If you are serious about Nibbana, that's where you ought to be. Unconditional love. Why do you bring your palms together to venerate the Buddha? You know, when we say the word Buddha, when we say the word Sariputatera, Mogallana tera, tera, Rahula Rahulatera Badra Kachayana, the great theory, right? When we, when you hear these words, you don't for a moment think about the knowledge, the wisdom that they had, right? How, 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 do, how can we even gauge how much wisdom the Buddha had or the great elder Sariputta Thera had? That, I mean, that's beyond us. Leaps and bounds It's beyond us. But the moment I say these names, what comes to your mind is the compassion, the loving kindness, the gracefulness, and the graciousness that they expounded and showed the whole world. They bathed the world in their love and compassion. The so Sariputta Tera was a mother to all sentient beings. Then imagine what his mother must have been like. No, I don't talk about Rupa Sari. That is Upatissa's mother. I am talking about Sariputta Tera's mother. The mother who taught him how to love. How to love all sentient beings the same. Unequivocally. Unconditionally. Limitless, boundless love. Can you feel what I am talking about? Are you beginning to experience that? Is that beginning to take seed in your, in your, in your, in your hearts? This limitless, boundless love, compassion. No matter what people say to you. No matter how people treat you. So now you can't have enemies. Check yourselves. You can't have enemies. You can have people who think you are their enemies. That's okay. You can't change them. But you can't have enemies. Don't be coming here if you have enemies. Because you're not entitled to enemies. Because if you have unconditional, boundless love and compassion, how can you have enemies? Because your mother has taught you how to love unconditionally. I don't mean that mother. I mean this mother. The Buddha. So in recognition of that love, reflecting upon that limitless, boundless compassion, trying to just a little bit, at least a little bit, try and understand what that must be like. Let us celebrate that. Let us celebrate the path that takes us there. Let us be grateful that we have a path that takes us there. Let us be glad that the Buddha is there for us, has been there for us and will be there for us. His teaching and the community of the Mahasangha, who teaches us, guides us, and shows us the path to get there. We are in their presence, and they are in ours. So, in commemoration of that, let us bring our palms together in veneration of He whose love is limitless, He whose compassion is boundless, and He whose wisdom. Is infinite. To the Supreme Buddha we make this veneration. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse. So now if that sounds like a destination you want to be at, then we need to make some progress to get there. And the Dhamma will guide you there. It is the teaching, the only teaching that will get you there. If ever in your hearts, ladies and gentlemen, you feel like there is something in this world that you want, that you desire, let me put it to you this way. That is the limit of your love. Quite simply. Once again. If there is something in this world that your heart desires, that is the limit of your love. Agree or disagree? If there is something in this world that you desire. Something. If you desire this. This is the limit of your love. In other words. You will give up everything. But this. So if someone comes to you and asks for this. They can have it. Because that is not what your heart desires. But if someone in this world comes and asks for this. Even if sometimes if it means their life depends on this. The degree to which you desire this is the limit of your love. Beyond this point, you can't love them because your love stops here. This is the limit. Do you get what I mean? This is the limit of your love. Because there are things in this world, if you believe there are things in this world That gives you joy and gives you happiness. Then that's where you draw the line. Let me show it to you. There are a bunch of things in this world. These are all the things in the world. All the things in the world. All the things that a heart could potentially desire. Is in here. Okay. Let's draw a line. This is all the things the heart could potentially desire. Up here are the things that you do desire. These things, no. These things are things that you have let go. Either let go or you never desired them in the first place. Someone comes and asks you, Can I have one of these please? Um, You have them in your possession. Physically it's in your possession. Okay, But you don't desire it. Someone comes and asks you, can I have one of these please? What's your answer? Why one? (laughs) Take the lot. No? Remember the rubbish pan you have at home? The bin? When the bin man comes? Do they do that in the the cities? I don't know. Yeah? Good. At the monastery we we have a problem with that. But when the binman comes, so there's a the, the trash bin. There's lots of trash in there. Hmm? Old newspapers, old cans, salmon tins and whatnot, right? It's all in there. So the binman comes and says, can I have this one? What's your answer? Take the lot. Take that. Take the lot. Why? On which side of this circle is this? This is on this side. Something's on this side. Now someone comes and says, Can I have this? Hmm. Why don't you ask for this? (laughs) Let's negotiate. You know, it, it takes away the smile on your face.
1: <laughs> Don't remember
0: when someone comes and asks, you, comes up to you and asks for something that you want. Like you know, when if you really love your money, and you're in traffic, traffic light goes red, then there, there are people who come up to you, right? Now, what do they ask for? As they say, what God's brother? It doesn't, it doesn't sound the same in English. <laughs> uh, they ask for something that you love dearly. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a bun in your car as well. This is for lunch, right? You have two buns. There's one spare. You just, just bought one just for spare. And then you have some money. Is this not there? So you lower the window because you feel like you have to give something now. They've stopped you. You know, because there's a, there's a, There's a, there's a deep, there's an instinct within you, like, you know, you have to give something. Yeah, because you, because of your customs, because of our culture, because that's how your parents brought you up, right? You're a good person. Aren't you all good people? Of course you are. There's no one better than you, right? So, you're all good people. So therefore, when someone asks you for something, you have to give them something. Even if they ask you for one, you have to give them something. You can't just let them walk away with having given them. Nothing. Right? So you have a bun and you have what they are asking for. So you say, can I have hungry Matya? Alright, let me get you the bun. So the bun goes through the window and the man stood outside saying, no Matya. I don't want your bun, Matya. What does he want? He wants your money. So then you pick up your wallet. But no longer with a smile. See, if you found yourself in these places, right, that's because they're asking for something you desire. They're asking for something you desire. So then you take the wallet out and then you count the money. Hmm, how much? How much is enough? And you count in a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, there's another five thousand don't need that one. 10 rupees. I don't know. Can you get away with 10 rupees these days? I, I honestly don't know. What can you get away with by giving to a beggar? 100? 100. No. That's the going rate. Exchange rate. Huh? <laughs> to to drive past the traffic light, you have to give 100, right? You used to do that in Monopoly. Collect 100 as you pass, go. So now the beggars know this. They stand at the traffic light,
2: uh,
0: so they collect hundred as you pass go so so you're there now and you have you have the hundred right, and then you have to give it because you have to, especially if you have someone in the in the car, passengers in the car, and even especially if you don't know them, well enough, maybe friends right they're in the car with you now you have to give them something, but you don't do it. In the same way that you might have given them the bun, because the bun is less precious, but the money is more precious. That's all down to the way in which we've been brought up, that's all. You know, these ideas, they were instilled in our minds from right, you know, right from a very young age, ladies and gentlemen. I remember going through this, this education, this education where money is very precious, you know, rightly or wrongly. These ideas were, were ingrained into our mind. They were, they were just fed into us. Money is the beast's knees. It's the most important thing in life. Everything we did, we thought we did for money. So money became a very important thing. Because, you know, even when you were younger, people would look up to people who, who were wealthy. And they looked at these luxurious lifestyles. People who had much. And they said, you know, look at people. you know, They live very happy lives. So you have to earn money, save, save up money. And and become rich one day. And no matter what ambition we had for ourselves, somewhere down there was becoming rich as well. In addition to doing something you liked and wanted to do, there was always, it was going to bring me money. Wealth was always part of that puzzle. So if someone asks you something you don't like, that takes away, that wipes away that smile off your face. Then you'll ask, you know, why don't you ask me for this? Don't... Don't ask me for that. That's why I say, this is the limit of your love. This line. That's why your love is not limitless. Are you telling me your love is limitless? I'm going to test you then. Your son you said, right? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You're not coming to the sermons again. (laughs) Says the father. I'm just kidding that is the limit of your love, you know even sometimes, if it's the best thing for someone else, you know sometimes at home, right, when you're with your family, on a good day, just you, the people that you're with at home, they know when you're having a good day, don't they like you 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 speak very lovingly, yeah, very very lovey on on those days. Right, you you speak these these affectionate words, right? If like if say sir, her name is her name is uh, let's say Chandrani, you don't call her Chandrani, call her Chandi. Those days, right? Those are the, the good days, right? But what about when you're having a bad day? They know. Chandrani is going to "Even the father's surname," is reminded. Why? That is the limit of your love. Because on those days you are not willing to make the other person happy. You know if you call her by her pet name it's going to make her happy. But how can you give something you don't have? That's always the case. If you're not feeling the love if you're not feeling it, you can't give it. If you're not feeling joy within you can't give joy without. You can't. That's why you have these good days and bad days. That's why at home, some days they love to have you around. Other days they love to not have you around. They'd love if you left. (laughs) There are days like that. You know, do something. Actually don't, but just as an argument, right? Just, just for argument's sake. Ask your, ask your loved one, your wife, your husband to mark secretively right not to share with you just to mark on a piece of paper for a whole month right the days that they'd love to have you home and the days that they wish that you weren't home Right? let get them to mark it in private not share it with you and then maybe i don't know and and not do anything just just let them mark it <laughs> i don't want to be the one who's responsible for another divorce <laughs> But you know, on a day where you feel, you you really feel that, you know, you're, you're willing to face, face reality and you, you know, you, you feel like, you know, I have to do something. I want to change myself and I'm prepared to accept any feedback. Okay. If you really feel steady about that, you know, before that, at least become a sravaka, sravika, uvesi, whatever, right? So you can take this, put it in an envelope from your wife and you can open it in front of your teacher. Maybe give it to the teacher and then ask them to share that feedback with you. So don't try this at home. (laughs) Certainly not on your own. You need a teacher for this so that they can, you know, do a soft landing <laughs> rather than a crash landing. Uh, so so if you can get your loved one, okay. you can do this with your with your child. You can do it with your husband, with your wife. Get them to mark at the end of the day. Is today a day you'd rather have had your husband at home or would you rather have, have, have had him, you know, go on a work trip or something? Maybe go and be with his friends. Then take a count. Get them to give you a count at the end of the month. You've got 30 days in the month. Work out how many days they'd rather have had you in versus out or out versus in. That will give you a really good indicator, a really good indication. As to the kind of person that you are and the good days and the bad days that you have. Because your outwardly expression is a reflection of who you are within. That's why when we think about the Sariputta Thera, the Moggallana Thera, the Mahakashava Theras, you know, if if they were here today, where would you be today? Don't tell me here. I mean, by here, I mean if they were, say, in India somewhere, right, or in Nepal, or in China, wherever, you wouldn't be here, would you? No, because I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I know Guru Chandru wouldn't be here. So we'd all be there wherever they are. Because, you know, they'd have such a wonderful demeanor about them. They'd be all-encompassing. They'll have limitless love because there's no limit to their love. There is nothing in this world that they desire. Don't you tend to be kinder to people who show you a little bit more respect than others, for instance. Dig deep. Find the answers. You have these answers within you. Right? People who show you a little bit more respect. You know, if people call you Nona or they call you Mahatmya, there's a difference. Some like Nona, others like Mahatmya. Mahatmya sometimes can sound a little bit more more more, more graceful than Nona. Right? So if someone calls you Mahatmya versus a Nona, some people might show them a little bit more respect. Some might show, show show you a little bit more respect if they if they speak to you more politely, if they say sir rather than your name. Someone calls you sir, you have a little bit more respect towards them. Why again? Because there's something that you desire. This is this is why in this world. You have, you experience, you see good people and bad people. This is what defines that. Good people and bad people in this world. Whenever you see a good person or a bad person, you make that judgment, don't you? They're neither good nor bad. When you make that judgment, whether someone's good or bad, what do you mean by bad? What you mean by bad is when they're not willing to let you have what you want. Then you say they're bad. A good teacher gives you good marks at the exam. A bad teacher doesn't give you good marks. So, who's the bad? Who's bad? The teacher? No, you define who bad is. You define who good was. If, if someone's out there who gives you what you want, you say they're good. A good friend is who? Someone who gives you what you want. A bad friend? Well, they're not a friend then. They're just a bad person. A person who doesn't give you what you want. So once again, you become either good or bad because of these limits that you have. This is the extent, this is the limit of your love. Whenever there is something in this part of the circle, in this half of the circle, if someone comes and wants it from you, they will get to see a bad side of you. This is your bad side. So you see, the bad side of you is all based in desire, isn't it? This is your, this is, this is, this is all down to attachment. Your attachment, your desire is what brings out the bad side of you in relation to other people. Anything here, free for all. Like I said, on a good day, right, on a good day, you are willing to show love because you have that in abundance. You're willing to be kind. You're willing to be generous because you have that in abundance. You're feeling very, very joyful. You're feeling very, very. Uh, upbeat on on those days. And then you're happy to share that with people. But then, you know, if someone hits a nerve, and someone says something that has upset you, or at the workplace, you know, now you're you're worried that you might lose your job, someone might take your role, right? Or you're not, you were hoping to get that promotion or something, or maybe a bonus at the end of the year and it's looking like it ain't going to happen now. There are things that are on this side, but now you are no longer going to get them. So therefore, that is a bad day for you. And people will experience that. The persons who come into your life will experience that. So then, tell me then, why is it that people who don't have this line... Why is it that people who don't have this line can love and show compassion limitlessly and boundlessly. Because there is nothing they desire. Exactly. Nothing they desire. So here is the follow-up question. To become someone who can love limitlessly, to become someone who can show compassion unconditionally, all you got to do is become someone who desires nothing. That is the point I want to try and prove to you. If you want to be someone who is, who can show limitless love, if you want to become someone who can show infinite compassion, if you want to be someone who can love and and show affection unconditionally, then you just have to become someone who has no desire. That is the trick. For as long as you have desire remember there will be things in this world where you have your limits and those limits are going to be the limit of your compassion those limits are going to be the limits of your of your of your kindness even and your and your love and so on so to become a better human being what do you think you must do how do you define a good human being How do how would you define a good human being? I'm not talking about Devas, Brahmas and so on. I'm talking about a good human being. You'll be looking for values, won't you? Aren't you? Are you just going to look for the education or the wealth that they have or a good human being? Take Mahatma Gandhi. Hmm? Most people would say that he was a good human being. But all he wore was a pair of slippers a walking stick, and a, and a piece of cloth around his, around his body. That's all he had. So, no wealth. He was educated, mind you, yes, but that's not why people thought he was a good human being. Non-violence was his strategy. So, you knew one thing for certain, if you cross paths with him, never would he retaliate, because his principle was that of non-violence. No matter how much violence you direct towards him, you are never going to get violence back from him. Because he was steady and firm on that. Through, the dumb, under, through no understanding of the Dhamma, but nonetheless he was, he was firm in that belief that I would not retaliate in any way. Non-violence is the way, is the way forward. So he was fixed on that. Therefore, most people would consider him a good human being. Now let's take an Arhat. Arhatan Mansi. Angulimala. Before he became the Arhat, Angulimala, people would not have considered him a good human being. He was dangerous. Would people would I say he's a dangerous? He's a murderer. But he was very well educated under his teacher. He was one of the best students, if not the best student. So he, he he got a good education from his teacher, but ultimately because he had to please his teacher, he took on a challenge. To prove his loyalty to his teacher, he took on this challenge. Because his teacher was fooled by something that someone had said, that he was having an affair with the, the teacher's wife, I think. Yes. Or daughter. Daughter? Wife? Wife? Daughter? Okay, maybe both. <laughs> So Angulimala now had to prove his loyalty to his teacher. So here was a man who was a good human being. In fact, he was called Ahinsakat. A name that resembled who he was. A very innocent person. Then he went on to becoming Angulimala the murderer. A bad person. Then he went on to become Angulimala the great Arahant, The finest specimen of a human being. All in one lifetime. While he was Ahinsaka, he was a good person, but he was not an Aryan. Right? So he was a bit like Mahatma Gandhi. Non-violence. He would not fight back, but although he knew how to fight. He wouldn't fight. He was very obedient. He was very loyal to his teacher. Then he became Angulimala, the murderer. Now you couldn't say the same about him as you would earlier. Now a different kind of person. If you cross paths with Angulimala, the murderer, then you'd be sorry. But then he came across the Buddha, listened to the Dhamma, and his whole life changed. And he entered the Aryan clan. And upon entering the Aryan clan, now he became a Ratanvance. Having first become a Sotapan, and listened to the Dhamma, practiced the Dhamma, and he became, went on to become a Ratanvance. At this point, he becomes someone who has no desires. See, he no longer desires for his teacher to think that he is loyal to him. He no longer desires that. He no longer wants or needs his teacher to think highly of him. He no longer needs society society to think good of him. Because there is nothing he desires. Back then, the reason Ahinsak went on to become Angulimala was because he needed his teacher to think that he was loyal to him. That was the extent of his love. So he had an extent. Always, there was always a limit. I want you to to figure for yourselves, look within and, and identify, ladies and gentlemen, what the limit of your love is. And work on that. Because that is where the Dhamma must attack. If this is you, you will all have a limit. Some might have it here. 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 Some might be, you know, just, just, just over here. Some, you know, that limit is just about on the edge of the, of, the, of the circle. But you'll be somewhere in here. Find out where you are. What is the limit of your love? That is one good way to figure out where you are on the path to Nibbana. What is the limit of your love? What things are you not willing to give up? If it's this, then that's what you're not willing to give up. Whatever it is, because of that you will suffer. You will suffer and you will make others suffer. You know, if something, someone wants something from you and it is something that you desire, you will fight nail and tooth to keep it for yourself. But if it is something that you have given up, this is what we do as when we, when we you know, when we, the Sinhalese term, dane. You give a dāne, right? The singular word dāne. It is not actually giving to some, giving something to someone. It's actually giving up. That is actually that is the real meaning of that word: to give up something, not to give to someone. To give up something. So once you have given a dāne, once you've done this dāne, the giving up, it doesn't matter who takes it, right? But aren't there things in life where You are willing to give, but only to specific people. These are the limits of your love. Now, as I say this, I want you to think about a few of these examples. There are things in life that you will give to to specific people. Maybe you have a a really nice dress at home. Hmm? A really nice dress. And you've been thinking one day, one of these days, I want to give it. You've been listening to the Dhamma, are you feeling, you're feeling very generous, and you think, you know, one of these days, I'm going to empty my, my wardrobe, right, and just keep what I need, the bare minimum, but I need, who am I going to give this to? And then names start flashing through your mind, and you think, no, not that one, pass. Another name comes, not her, pass. (laughs) See, now you have people who, who you will, who you're willing to give to, and people who you're not willing to give to. So now you there is a limit to your love there. This is not Dhani. This is not Dhani in the truest sense of Dhani. You are giving to, not giving up. Meaning, in other words, you are still attached to it. You have one end of the string in your hand and the other end, therefore, you, you, are, you are adamant about where the other end is. Whereas if you give up, you let go of this part of the string, now it doesn't matter where the other end is. See, whenever you give, whenever you give, whatever you give, okay, whatever you give, whenever you give, ask yourself the question: Are you still holding on to one end of that string? If you are still holding on to one end of the string, you are still on the. That is still something that you desire. You haven't given it up yet. Don't fool yourself to think that you've given it up. That's all I'm asking you to do. Because if you fool yourself, you know that you, you can't help. You can't be helped, like our teachers say, you know one who's asleep, you can wake them up, but one who's pretending to sleep, you can't wake them up in the same way, when you give something and you're still holding to one end of that, it is important to you who the receiver is. Now we have a blood donation campaign coming up like next next week, yeah, when you give blood, fortunately. You don't get to decide who the recipient is. Fortunately. <laughs> because I know this for certain. If you could decide who the recipient was, right, you'd have a list. I mean, they'd you'd ask for a checklist. Or, you know, a list of people you can take, right? Doctors, yes. Engineers, yes. Uh, bankers, no. Don't want them to have my blood. Uh, police officers, they can have some of my blood. Uh, Drug dealers? Certainly not. Murderers? No. Prison inmates? Mm -mm. No. You are not giving blood. That is not a donation. You haven't really given up. You are giving too, not giving up. Meaning, it's still within this circle. There is a limit to your love. Why don't you love the murderer, as much as you love the saint. Because you are still holding one end of that string. The Dhamma is to help you to let go of that string as you give. See, after you have given up that end of of your string, it doesn't matter who takes it or whether they take it at all. Because you have given up. If Nibbana is the purpose of your life, If Nibbana is the purpose of everything you do, and if Nibbana is simply letting go, letting go is Nibbana, then Nibbana has happened within you, right? Once you let go. So matters not, does it, then who takes it? If you have let this go, that is Nibbana. Matters not who takes it from you. If it matters to you, who takes this once you let go, that is not Nibbana. That's how your trash can. Once you put something in the bin, now it matters not to you who takes it. Therefore, that is an example of your Nibbana. But maybe, like I said, the, the clothes you have at home in your wardrobe, you haven't worn them for a few years now, and you're prepared to give them to someone. But now you have to check their credentials before you give it to them. They have to be virtuous people. They have to be good people, kind-hearted people. Now you have to check their virtues and so on. If, if you are like that, then you haven't really let go. You have given too. There is some merit there, of course. But it is not the ultimate merit that you can earn for yourself. I'm asking you to aspire to a greater greater level of thinking, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we need to step up our game. Most people in this world give. You're not the only people who give. Most people in this world give. But most people in this world give conditionally. And what are some of those conditions? They have conditions on what they give, who they give to, how they give. These are all conditions, conditions of the giving. In other words, they are writing a contract. I shall give on this day to this person in this way. That's a contract, right? But when an arahant gives, or the giving that helps you to become an arahant, there is no, I shall give this to that person on this day. I have given up. Once you've given up, now does it matter who takes it? Does it matter when they take it? Does it matter what they do with it after they've taken it? If you've given up, certainly not. Ask yourself, what is the limit of your love? What are some of the things you are still struggling to give up, not give to, give up? Now, see, there are parents here. Your, as parents, you'd want to give, maybe you want to give your children to the sasana one day. That is also giving to. That's not giving up. That's giving to. Because, again, there's what you're giving, who you're giving to, and how you're giving, and so on. Giving up is a different ball game altogether. If you've given up, now it doesn't matter what happens to them. You'll be like, huh? How can you do that, Swami answer. These are children. They're young things. You've got to be very careful with them. And, 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 you know, think a hundred times before you give. Or do anything with them. Yes, 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 yes. I understand that. I'm not denying that. All I'm saying is, you're not giving up. You're giving too. That's all. You can't deny that either, can you? So you'll ask me, is that, isn't that that irresponsible just to give up? Shouldn't you give to? should Shouldn't you check which school you put your child to? Shouldn't you check whether the monastery is actually doing what they're saying they do before you give it? Yes, but all I'm saying is you're giving two. You're not giving up. You're still attached to your children. Even when you have given them to the sasana. Ibana is a funny little thing. It's out of this world, folks. You can't measure Nibbana in, with the same yardstick that you measure worldly giving. If you really, if you've really given up your children, I know this is impossible. Okay? So, maybe, just listen to this and forget it. Okay? <laughs> if, you really give, if, you really, if you're really giving up your children, now it matters not what happens to them. I know that you will say this is not practical. How can someone do something like that? Aren't we as parents responsible for their well-being? Yes, 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 yes. I understand all that. And so should you not check whether you, before you give your children? Yes, you should. I'm talking about your mental happiness. We have duties, we have responsibilities, we have obligations. Absolutely, as a parent, you do. And that's a conventional reality. These duties, responsibilities, they're all conventional realities. That's why your duty is towards your child and not the child next door. That's a conventional reality. Ultimately, you know, you're just mind and matter. So what does one mind and matter have towards another mind and matter? There is no such connection there. But conventionally, we have these things. That's why all of them appear in the Ten Meritorious Deeds. And the dasavattu Right? If someone believes that there are no such things called duties and responsibilities, then that is wrong, because that is one of the wrong views. One of the ten wrong views, but they're all worldly. They're not, they're mundane views, they're not, they're not supramundane views. In the supramundane, in, in absolute terms, there are no duties and responsibilities. Now forget I just said that. In absolute terms, there are no duties and responsibilities, but in the conventional sense, absolutely, there are duties and responsibilities. I fulfill them, you must fulfill them. as we live in a conventional world, we must fulfill them. in fact, if you if you created a world where there are no duties and responsibilities, this world would fall apart exactly. There'd be chaos, exactly. Nothing would stick around exactly. We wouldn't be able to survive like this. Y- yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's what Nibbana is. Nothing would exist. Practical? No. True? Yes. So should you do that? No. <laughs> then why are you saying it? Just because I have some how to say something, right? <laughs> I'm talking about something you must aspire to spiritually. Not conventionally. Always whatever you learn. When you come to these sermons, right, whatever you learn in these sermons, these are merely things to reflect on mentally and aspire to spiritually. Think about them and aspire to spiritually. Don't forget the fact that you are a mother. Even if you become an arahant, as you get up and leave this room, remind yourself, I am a mother. You remind yourself with every chitta that you are a mother anyway. I am just saying, just continue doing that. Because you are not a mother, Really. Every chitta, you have to remind yourself you are a mother. Yes or no? Yeah. So, that's what I'm saying. Just remind yourself that you are a mother. Remind yourself that you are a father. Remind yourself that you are a husband and you are a wife. And you have a house and you have to pay the mortgage. Remember these things. Don't forget them. Because in a, we live in a conventional world. So, is convention bad? Is convention bad? No, convention is not bad. But convention is not absolute reality. So even the Buddha speaks about conventional truths and absolute truths. He speaks of chitta, chayasika, rupa, nibbana. He says these are the absolute truths. Where are the mothers and the fathers in that? Where are duties and responsibilities in that? It doesn't feature in the four absolute truths. In the four absolute truths you have chittas, consciousness. You have mental factors, chayasikas. There's rupa, and there's Nibbana. Where are the mothers, where are the fathers? In the absolute reality, none of these conventions exist. But in a conventional world, they all exist and they must forever exist. This is very important. Very, very, very important. Now, in Rajagiriya, sometimes, you know, people who are particularly new to the Dhamma, they come and ask questions usually at the end of the sermons. And on many occasions what I tell people is slow down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Sir, slow down. Madam, too fast. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Because they've listened to a sermon and they feel like that's it, I'm not a mother, not a father, I'm not I'm not nobody I'm not anybody, right? I'm just a chitta. Right, So now I have to go just go and just be a chitta. <laughs> so if you are just a chitta, you don't need a car to get back home, right? <laughs> you don't need to eat, you don't need to sleep, you don't need to do anything. If you are just a chitta, I say, no, madam, you are a mother. Okay? You are a mother. Don't forget that. Where's your son? Ask him to come. Where's your daughter? Ask her to come. Right. You are still a family. Don't forget that. Because if you begin to act out what you have understood, life will become incredibly difficult for you. There's a, there's a right pace to progress. And that pace, you have to check in with convention. Convention, Let convention be your guide on how to exist in this world. Let convention be your guide. Let the Dhamma be your guide as to how you attend Nibbana. Nibbana is, is, a, is a very personal affair. It's a, it's a purely mental institution. Nothing more. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you eat, none of these things need to change. None of these things need to change. So if you hold your child's hand to show him love and affection, then please continue to do that. If you stroke his head or keep him on your lap to show him love and affection, then please continue to do that. These are very important. But the truth is this. Whatever you desire is the limit of your love. You can't deny that. There may be things you have at home, things which you are willing to give, maybe just to your children. There are things you are willing to give, just to your friends. There are things you are willing to give to just about anybody. Then there are things you are not willing to give, no matter what. Don't you have a few of these categories? Try and see, try and put a few things into these boxes right now. The first category. Things you are willing to give just to your children. You have a few of those things. My property. The coconut estate. What else? The car. The money. These things you are only willing to give to your children. Then there is the things you are willing to give to your friends. Some you are willing to lend to them. But they have to return them. You can lend them your car. right? But bring it back. Uh, you're willing to lend them what are some things you might be happy to give to your friends maybe a book maybe you might be able to actually give them some money but not all your money give them some money you might be happy to get them to come and stay in a, maybe you have a, a holiday home right? you're happy to let them stay there for a week but not write it off to them so in your world there are these groups of people aren't there see this is where you need to transcend from convention to absolutism I'm I'm Now I'm trying to talk to you about an ideology. I'm trying to get you to start to think about Nibbana. Your actions should reflect convention. Your thinking should be in absolute, in the absolute reality. Do you see the difference there? Understand the absolute reality and act out convention. Because if you don't abide by the law of the land, then we won't meet again. Because I don't come to the prisons anymore. So, so you have to, you have to live by the law of the land, you have to live by convention, but your thinking should be in absolute terms. So, in your world, you have people called parents, you have people called your, your spouses, you have people called your friends, your children, and so on. You know, these are all categories of people that you have. There's one group called family, there's another group called friends, and maybe part of family will be your children, right? Then there are colleagues, Then you have neighbors. And there are certain things you are willing to give to some of these people. And they can still be on this side. They can still be on this side. They are in fact still on that side. If whenever you give something, it matters to you who takes it. Have you let it go? Have you? You haven't let it go. So on which side of is it? It's on this side. I'm I'm sharing with you practical tips to figure out what things you're still attached to. Because you need that, don't you? You need to know. This is a temperature check. Here's a thermometer. Stick it under your tongue and figure out what, how much fever you still have if there are things that you give up, don't be fooled that you've actually let them go. If it matters to you, when you give some, when you put something on this desk, who comes and takes it and walks away with it, you haven't still given it up. It's still in your I desire circle, half of that circle. Whereas if it's on this side, now when you let it go, it doesn't matter who takes it away, it doesn't matter even if they don't take it away. Let it rot. You're okay. Let it turn into ashes and become and, and, and go back to the soil. It's okay. A crow comes in and flies away with it. That's okay. A, a thief comes and takes it from you. They think they are stealing, but you've already given it up. That's okay. Now it's on this side of the circle. So take stock, I ask you, to take stock of the things that are still on this side of the circle. What you need to do is to try and Move this line as further up as possible so that one day it's completely erased. No more lines. Meaning, this is the limit of your love. If you really want to be someone like Sāriputta Thera and these are the role models that you have in your life. If you really want to be someone like Badrakha Chayana, the great theory, and these are the role models that you have in your life do understand that they had limitless love towards all. It, you don't actually have to say limitless love towards all, because limitless love is love to all. So for two reasons I ask you to do this. One reason is that you become a blessing to those around you. You become an inspiration to those around you, so that others will also be inspired to become like you. You know, if you, have, if you are someone who holds everything that you find Right, and you you you're just someone who has, who's very, who's a miser, very stingy, not prepared to give anything up, right? And 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 you're always looking to 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 get what belong to other people as well. People don't like to be like you. Ask them. People don't like to be like you. They might come and smile at you at your face, but as you turn around and walk away. They'll say all sorts of things. People don't like to be like you. If you are upset when someone calls you names, if you are upset when someone says something bad to you, when someone criticizes you you and you become upset, in those moments, people don't like to be like you. Don't you like to be someone who people like to be like? Don't you? Don't you like to be an inspiration to others? Don't you like to be a role model to others? Honestly, don't you? It might be that you know, you're, not, you're not aspiring to that. But if you could be one, without you know, stressing too much, without working too hard, you know just by being there, if people can look up to you and think, I'd really like to be like her one day. Many people come up to me and, and speak about Anagarika mahatmyas in that manner. Many people come and speak to us about Anagarika Mahatma and then they say, I, I really like to be like that gentleman one day. And this is leaving alone our monks. I always say, you know, Anagarika Mahatma is an Anagarika Mahatma. You know, people are, they, they find it easy to relate to them because they, they feel like it's a less of a jump. Whereas it's difficult to relate to a Swami because they feel like, you know, we are worlds apart. You know, under the bold head and inside this robe, we are all the same. But people don't recognize that. People think that we are a different species. An alien species. No, we're not. We're just truth seekers. That's all. You and I, we are both the same. This is just convention. That's all. Presence of hair does nothing for or against Nibbana. No. But conventionally, it makes life easier to live. You don't have to waste your time brushing, not teeth I mean hair you don't have to waste your time combing your hair brushing your hair or delicing your hair. remember those days See none of those problems but so that that's a convention and then and therefore when you when you adhere to a certain way of Grooming yourself, you know, we're all the same now. And that, 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 that equality also helps with unity. Because it's not always an arahan that comes into the sasana. People come into the sasana to become arahants. Yeah, so they walk into the sasana with raga Moha. Fair or unfair? Very fair. What's this is the sasana for? It is for people with defilements. That is what the sasana is for. Sasana is to make saints out of evil people, out of the sinners. It is to make saints out of sinners. So sinners are welcome into the Sasana to become saints. That is why the Sasana is, is, is the place for all of us, ladies and gentlemen. When I, wake, when I came into the Sasana, I had a lot more defilements than I do today. It is the Sasana that cleanses me. It cleanses me. Every day it cleanses me. And if I waited for the day where I was pure to come into the sasana, what day would that be? Maitri Buddha will come and go. The next Buddha, whoever that Buddha is going to be, will come and go. Then there will be another Kakusanda Buddha who will come and go. Right? They will all come and go. And I will be here waiting for the day when I am free of all defilements to come into the sasana. That is not what the sasana is for. This is like a detergent. You, have, you need it when you are dirty. Not when you are clean. The detergent cleans you. So whatever your limits are, whatever your desires are, if you want to become someone who has limitless compassion and loving, and loving kindness to all, then you need to identify these limits. I, remember I told you there are a few boxes, a few categories into which you have put these things that you own. There are those that you have, you can give to only, only to your children. There are those that you have, you can only give them to your friends. There are those that you have, you'll only give them to your family. Don't you have such things? You do because in your mind there is such a thing called a family. That's why. Not everyone is your family. You have separated a few individuals in this world and you call them family. I don't mean the convention here. right? So step, a step out of convention when I'm talking about this at this moment. Conventionally, yes, we all have families and we are part of that families of the families that we are part of. I mean mentally. Mentally, you can't be part of a family. You are an individual chitta and another chitta is another chitta. No one gives us a right to say that one chitta is part of a family, the other chitta is not part of a family. Chittas are chittas are chittas. You know, if you look at it that way, then all chittas, if, if there's ever a chitta, they're all part of the same family, aren't they? So every chitta, every being that has a chitta, is also part of the same family. In fact, you know, back in the day, Brahmins tried to think in these ways. People who went into the Rupavachara Brahmavas, they practiced this kind of compassion. Even back then, you know, people would renunciate their worldly lives and go and become ascetics because they didn't want to feel like they were part of a small group of people. They felt like they belonged to the whole world. They felt like they were global citizens, not a country citizen, not a town citizen, not a family citizen. They felt like they were part of the whole world. You know, today as a monk, I feel that way. Not just because I'm a monk, but I have a monk's attitude. So you can be wherever you are right now. And adopt that attitude. It's difficult. I'll give you that. It's not easy because you have these limits. That's why it's not easy. I want you to be a better version of yourself. Is that okay to to have, to ask that of you? I'm not asking you to be me. See, I'm not. Don't be me. I'm already taken. Don't be Guru Hanuman. He's already taken. I mean, don't even be Allah. Don't be Jesus Christ. Don't be the Buddha. They were taken. How about you become the best version of yourself? This is what's stopping you from becoming the best version of yourself. You could be kinder. You could. You could be more generous. You could be more of a blessing to the people around you. If only you worked on this. This is the limit of your love. You have set your limits because of the things you desire. If you desire this pen, ladies and gentlemen, you will give up everything in this world except for this pen. If someone comes and asks you this, that's mine. Take anything else in this room but this. Take anything else in this room but my family. Haven't you heard people say, if you touch my family, that's over my dead body. Heard that? See? That is the limit of their compassion. In other words, if someone, I mean, you know, if you are still a family man and you actually believe you are a family man, you perceive yourself to be a family man, fathers in this room, mothers in this room, right? It's quite, it's to be expected that if someone walks up to you and they harm your child, they harm your wife, they harm your mother, your father, they'll have to pay with their life. It's quite possible that it is still so. I can't, I can't expect that you have all gone beyond that. Because that is a <laughs> you know, that, that is another mindset on a completely different level. Today, it's quite possible that if someone comes up to you and takes your child and harms your child, beyond duty and responsibility, you will feel a sense of anger. You will feel like you want to fight them. You might even break their arm or leg. You might even have them killed. Because you feel as ferocious as a lion when the thought of protecting your family comes, as far as protecting your family is concerned. You are willing to pay any price for the protection, for the for the safe keep of your of your own family, because that is the limit of your compassion. Over my dead body will you touch my child? There may be mothers, there may be fathers in this room who'll say that way. But you see, you have compassion towards your child, but what about the person who's come to take your child? Towards them, you have no compassion. You have, if they ask for anything else, you'll give it, but not your child. You again, I know you'll be asking me, so, I Amin mean, what you're saying is just it's bizarre. It's mad. You're have you gone crazy? You lost me. You're telling me that someone comes to harm my child and you what? You expect me to just, you know, just fiddle my thumbs and not do anything about it? I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to aspire to that. Do what you have to do today. But you haven't let go. Therefore, when someone walks up to you and tries to take away something that belongs to you, you have a line that you draw, and then your compassion is limited to your child, but not to the person who comes to kidnap your child. <laughs> I, I know I know, there may be some parents here. Maybe some years ago, before you started to practice the Dhamma, if your child got kidnapped, and the kidnappers asked for a ransom, right? you would have run around trying to find the money, Trying to you know get the CID involved and you know done all sorts of things to get your child back and find the money to get to to pay the ransom. It's quite possible that today there are parents here. If someone kidnaps your child and they ask for a ransom, you'll ask double that to take the child back. <laughs> you didn't understand what I just said, did you? I'm saying there may be mothers here today. If someone kidnaps your child and they ask for a ransom, you'd say double the ransom. If you want me to take the child back. So it now find us keep us. <laughs> you took him, keep him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's possible that you are there, there but there, are, there will also be cases where you are know, willing, willing to take a life if it comes to that. But you may not do it with your car, you may not do it with your house, you may not do it with most other things that you have, but where your children are concerned, you know, for mothers and fathers, this is why Guru Hamdraha always goes on about this. It's a trap. Because ultimately, your child only lives in your perception. Isn't that why you can walk home with the, with, with the, with the wrong child? Like your child got swapped at hospital. You walk home with the wrong child, Someone else's child, and now you think that that is your child, and now you're willing to give up your life for that child. Whereas if you didn't think that that was your child and someone else's child, now you wouldn't. So then, where is this child love for your child born? It's all in your perception. It's all in your perception. Just imagine if you you know you 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 went crazy just before you got pregnant, just before you went got pregnant, you went crazy. So you don't know you become a mother. And then after you deliver your child, now they treat you and now you, you become, become sane again. So now at this point you don't know you're a mother. So now where is that motherly love? It's all in a perception. But that perception is a real trap. Like every perception where you, have, where you perceive that there are entities in this world and you, have, you feel that sense of attachment to this world, then these are all traps, even where your best friend is concerned. Right, if you have someone that you think is your best friend, something happens to them, it hurts you. Does it not? Go back to school ties. How many of you have gotten involved in brawls and fights and whatnot because your friend got threatened? Remember? Chandias in this room? There must be a fair few. You only became a chandia when your friend got threatened. Now, boys and girls are no different. You had a reputation for that, right? If you but touched my friend, if your friend got threatened, right? Maybe, maybe your best friend was in the neighboring school, right? You'd, you would, you'd cut school to go to that fight to save your friend. You were willing to put your life at risk because you had a line to draw. There was a, there was a, there was a limit to your compassion. There was a limit to your love. There was a limit to your kindness. It mattered not to you then what the cause of that fight was, why people were why people were brawling. It mattered not what was fair and unfair. As long as it was my friend who was getting attacked, my friend who was being threatened, I had to do something about it. There may be very few here who, when you went and got involved in that, you asked the question, hold on a second, let's figure out what happened, really. Who's the guilty party? Who instigated the fight? Maybe very few here who actually... Who actually made some reasonable inquiries as to who started all this? Generally, it would just be walking in, right, with a, with a chain or something wrapped around your wrist. I haven't done any of this, right? but I've seen people do this. There were times where, you know, going back, like after school, you'd go to from Calcutta, uh, you'd go to Maharagama, right? And there were days where I, we were scared to wear the school badge. <laughs> You had to take it out and put it in our pocket or something. But then they still they still caught us because they are sing the school, sing the school anthem. Because sometimes schools, right? They they have these fights, inter school fights. Right? When when they have these inter school fights or inter grade fights, you're all from the same place, right? Okay. So when they have these inter school fights or inter inter grade fights, right, then you had to pretend that you were not part of that school. So the school badge gave it all away, but then what I really later realized is we had to learn the school anthems of all this all the schools in Colombo. <laughs> so when questioned, which school are you? Uh, 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 Ananda. All right, then sing the school anthem. <laughs> you had to, on demand. <laughs> so you had to like check the weather, the weather report, you know, whether it's gonna be a rainy day today, sunny day today. You had to check on the on the school report, not the school SRB report. I mean there was a you know, on the grey point, you'd know who was fighting who. So then, on that day, you had to pretend that you were of a different school. And you also had to learn who the teachers were in those schools, because those were asked as well. You know, which teacher does which subject. So, actually, in those years, you know, we actually understood a lot about the schools in Colombo. <laughs> we had an in depth knowledge. We were like Wikipedias for schools. <laughs> We had to know, you know every, every, every nook and corner you know, where the canteen was and how much a bun was at the canteen <laughs> in every school. Because you know, these were the questions that got asked to make sure that we were not of a particular school which was involved in the, in the brawl. Because there was always a limit. Where your friend is concerned, right, that is who you side with. If you have a side that you pick you are not on the Buddha's side because the Buddha has no sides. He has no friends and he has no enemies. Do you? Do you have a side that you pick? Do you side with those who are fair? I don't mean fair by complexion. I mean fair as in just. Do you side with them? What about those who are unfair? Don't you like them? What's wrong with them? You don't like them because they are unfair. Do you like someone because he's of the same political party as you? Do you like someone because they're, or do you dislike someone because they are of, of, of a different political party? Do you like someone because They live on the same street as you. Or they've gone to the same school as you. You know, these are all divisions that we have in society that continues to fuel the fire of these divisions and separations that we go through in life. You know, whatever school you've been to, just ask yourself, right, if you had two individuals who've come for a job interview and you're the one who's doing the interview and someone says, I'm from your school, ask yourself, do you feel a special bond towards them? A special affinity to them? A special interest? Do you take a special interest in them? And do you side with them? Do you give them extra favorations? That's the limit of your love. I'm showing you lots of places where you have limits to your love. If so, the Buddha has not been born within you yet. That's why I asked right at the beginning, where was the Buddha born? For the Buddha to be born within you, you cannot have limits to your love because the Buddha does not have limits to his love. He loved Ananda, who was his chief attendant, and he loved the woman who came up to him and accused him that he was the father of his child, of her child, the child in his womb when he was the Buddha. The same. The same. He said, Sister, only you and I know the truth. I mean, just you know, just just imagine the situation. <laughs> she was not actually pregnant; she was pretending to be because she wanted to get the Buddha in trouble. So she had a bundle tied up to her her her, her body and walked up to the Buddha and said, "This man. He did this to me. He pretends to be so virtuous." If he's so virtuous, would he have done something like this to me? Just imagine the Buddha's response. Do you think he would have gotten upset? Ananda, what's going on? All he had to say was, sister, dear sister, only you and I know the truth. That was it. He had nothing more to say. You know why he said that? He loved her. In the same way that he loved his chief attendant, in the same day he loved his chief disciple. Because for the Buddha, there are no limits, no conditions have to be met before he gives his love. I want all of you to be like that. Let's aspire to that. Like I said right at the start of this, you know, this is possible. This is not impossible. It seemed like it before the Dhamma came into your lives. But now this is very possible. This, this love, unconditional love that I speak of, ladies and gentlemen, it might have seemed like a fairy tale. Those days when you used to read about the great arahants right in the storybooks, when your grandmother used to give you stories as she fed you. You know, this is, there, was a, there was a great arahant who was like this and like that and so on. I, they were so compassionate. They would walk the surface of the earth and was a blessing. And even animals would, would, would bow their heads in respect. Those days, you know, they seemed like fairy tales. How is that even possible? Because you were angry all the time. So you wondered, how, how is that even possible? You had desire and lustful thoughts. You had a sense of ego about you. And you knew that, you know, there were things that you liked and you didn't like. And there were people you really liked and people you hated. So you always wondered how can someone even be like that? Are these fairy tales? Is this fiction? You thought to yourself. But now I'm telling you this is possible. It's possible when you have given up all desire. Because once you've given up, now there is nothing you have to fight for. Nothing to fight for. Because the fight was to give up. So what do you fight for if the fight is to give up? Only to give up, right? The fight is to give up. There is the fight of Nibban. The fight to give up. So who do you fight that with? Who is your enemy? Exactly. If it is you who has to give up, then your fight is always with you. So you know, your your enemy, your enemy comes up to you. right? Someone who really doesn't like you comes up to you. And they are angry with you. And they start saying things to you. They start calling you names. They start mocking you. They start annoying you. right? If you have become a disciple of the Buddha, here's what you're going to sense. If your fight is against ignorance and attachment, and you're honest, you genuinely your fight is with ignorance and attachment, then you need to be able to spot that it is ignorance and attachment that's doing that to them. So now your fight is not with them. It's what has happened to them. So you must feel a love, a compassion, a connection to them. They are in the same boat as you are. So if they are in the same boat as you are, your friends are in the same boat as you are, the people who think you are their enemies are in the same boat as you are, now who are you going to fight with? The only fight is with ignorance and attachment. Because ignorance and attachment is what does this to people. It gives you, puts you on a side. Puts you in a camp, separates us, divides us. I was thinking the other day: if someone actually invented, or rather, created this world, you know, they, imagine there was an, there was a creator who created this world for the continued sus- sustenance of this world, for the continued existence of this world they've done the only thing that they needed to do. Once again, if there is someone who created this world and they wanted the continued existence of this world, for this world to prevail and to exist and forever and ever and ever, for perpetuity, the only thing they'd have to do is to put into the individual minds a need to self-preserve. That is all they'd have to do. Because, you know, if they created unity, if they created harmony, if they created, well, that's exactly what it is, unity, this world wouldn't, wouldn't exist. It couldn't. The reason that the world exists even to this day, as we know it, is because everyone thinks about themselves. That's why. For this world to exist in this way, everyone must think about themselves themselves. And so, the world exists. You've heard the saying, Dukkho loke right? Dukkha, in other words, this idea of separation, is the foundation of this world. If that foundation weren't there, if the chittas, the people, chittas in this world, didn't feel a need to separate, didn't feel a need to, to preserve their selves, didn't feel a need to fight for themselves, this world wouldn't exist in this way. It's only because people feel that way. Does the world exist in this way? I'll explain to you why that is. Take an organization, because the world itself is an organization, but take, take in just another organization, you know, maybe your company, place where you work. Your organization thrives, although senior management might want you to think because of unity. Unity only works where Nibban is concerned. (laughs) Trust me. For any other place, for something to survive, for something to exist and prevail, it is not unity that does the job. Everyone has to think about themselves. That's the way it works. Take an organization. In an organization, yes, people work in a team. I get that. People work in a team, but why? That's what you need to ask. Why do people work harmoniously in a team? Yes, because of self-interest. Because only if you work as a team, can you get what you want at the end of the day. That promotion, that pay rise, that recognition. These things are possible only if you work as a team. But self-interest must always prevail. Otherwise, the organization wouldn't, wouldn't exist. Because, you know, where people don't think about themselves, how can, how can you establish a world system? Because now you're talking about Nibbana. After all, if everything was pure energy, and there was no separation, no division, no self-preservation, then that is a, that is a state where there is, no, there is no existence, there is no world. But where Chittas become ignorant... And where chittas feel that separation, this division is pleasurable, now everyone will try to strive, will strive to fight for themselves and, and, and preserve themselves. So think about some of the incentives you get at the workplace, right? There are incentives that people get at the workplace. And these in- incentives are along the lines of, you know, there are, the job comes with its perks, right? If you, if you move up the, 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 the ladder in your organization, right, you get various, you get various benefits and there are various advantages and perks that come with the job so now everyone there is thinking about how do i get to the next level next next rung on this ladder everyone's trying to think about that so let's say there are three people in your in your in your office in your team and there's one promotion that has come up there's a promotion opportunity that has come up now these three people one of them will be successful to be successful now each one thinks about themselves here's how that benefits the organization because each one thinks about themselves. They're all trying trying to work hard. They put in extra hours. They work weekends. right? They work their socks off. And they, they try to bring in as many customers as possible. They try to sign up as many contracts as possible. They try to make the business as lucrative as they possibly can. So that now the company succeeds. Because they're all trying, striving and struggling really hard to get that promotion. One of them gets the promotion. So the, all the work that has gone into getting the promotion who benefits from that the company so the company succeeds but if everyone now worked in unity right so 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 they're not thinking about the promotion they're not thinking about how we can all benefit from it but there's only one position you know wouldn't it wouldn't it be better instead of giving one bonus at the end of the year right to one individual well, how about they split it in three and everyone gets an equal, pay, or equal share? Uh, that would be unity, but that's not how it works. Where I, when I used to work, right, we used to get a bonus at the end of the year. And for that, you had to have a rating at the end of the year. So they give you a one, two, three, or a five, right? If you're a five performer, you're, you're, you're the best at your, at your game and you get, you get a, a greater a part share of the, share of the bonus. That's how it used to work. Now, to get a five, Yes, you have to demonstrate that you can work as part of a team. But ultimately, you are doing that so you can shine above the rest. They'll tell you that it is unity that they look for. But again, the motive behind that is so that I can get my bonus at the end of the year. This sounds really selfish. But selfish is what keeps the world turning on its axis. Stop selfishness and the world will stop. Because you need to think about the self for this world system to carry on like this. A mother has to think about her child, has to think about her child for a family to be successful. Because a family is a worldly affair. Now there are, you know, there are, there are, there are healthy limits and there are unhealthy limits. Once you pass, go past a certain threshold, it becomes unhealthy. Then it becomes destructive rather than constructive. I, I, I take that. But, good or bad, they're both part of this worldly existence. That's why the part of Nibbana, I said, it's a funny little thing. This Nibbana is a very different animal. It's not like worldly existence in any way. When you stop thinking about the, about the self, people often come and ask, ask us. So Swami Nanda if everyone tries, starts to do what you're asking them to do, you know, stop, stop thinking about the self, stop thinking about becoming doctors and engineers and lawyers and whatnot, you know, how is the world going to run? That's a, that's a fair point, isn't it? How is the world going to run? If every all the young people in our country, they start taking the Dhamma, and they start becoming monks, and Anagarikas, and so on, Right? then how, how is the world going to operate? Yeah, that's a fair point. That's why we don't take everyone. We don't. I mean, the mothers are there to make sure that that doesn't happen either. And so are the fathers. They're there, the mothers and fathers are there to make sure that the world... Keeps turning on its axis, and we don't interfere with that and stop stop the world from 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 continuing and, and 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 prevailing. Because the dhamma that we speak of, if you if you imbibe this dhamma, if you associate with this dhamma, take it on and practice it, the best evidence I can give you that the world won't exist is that. Through this practice, you end up not existing. Yes or no? So if you don't exist, how can you be doing something for the world to exist? If you don't exist, it destroys you from within. Not in a bad way, in a good way. It destroys you from within. The Dhamma does that to you. It exterminates you. You go from existence to non-existence. You go from something to nothing. That's what the Dhamma does for you. Because whatever something is, it has to be maintained. It has to be sustained. It has to be supported. A lot of work goes into maintaining something. But once you become nothing, then therein itself stops all effort. That's the end of it. So if the Dhamma does that to you, how can that do something different to the to the rest of the world? So, if everyone became an arahant, just imagine. If everyone became an arahant, how many more years do you think the world would exist? Hmm? <laughs> not a moment more, because there would there wouldn't be the energy to keep this world system going. Because for the world to exist, there needs to be there need to be good and bad. It's not just good. There has to be bad. So, if you want the world to exist forever and ever and ever. Don't all become good at once. Some of you have to be good and the rest of you have to be bad. So good and bad, yin and yang, as they say, this keeps the world going. If we all became saints, then there wouldn't be a reason for the world to continue to exist. Because after all, what is the world? It is a creation of the mind. The world is a creation of the mind. All the things you see around you, from the sun up in the sky that scorches us day and in every day from the rains from the clouds from the hills right from the skies up there to the earth beneath our feet all of these things are creations of the mind when the mind wants an existence the mind creates the environment for which in which to exist we've created the world that we are in i mean now i mean physically physically we've created the world that we are in and that is because you want to be you want to exist so if you want to exist you need the environment to exist right If you want to live, you have to build a house for yourself. This is the house that we built for ourselves. All together we built this house. The world is our house. This universe, it is our house. We built this house all together. So if you had no reason to exist, why would you continue to build that house? Why would you continue to maintain that house? And so the whole world system would collapse. But fortunately, that's not going to happen. Not for a very long time. Ever. It's never going to happen. How many Buddhas have we had by now? That's right. How many Buddhas are we going to have? The same number. Infinite. We've had infinite Buddhas in the past. We're going to have infinite Buddhas in the future. So you needn't worry. Your time will come and your time will come. (laughs) Do you not need to worry? I mean, read between the lines. Infinite Buddhas have come and gone and you're still suffering. Hmm? Infinite Buddhas will come in the future. You are still suffering. What this shows you, what this proves to you is, although infinite Buddhas have come and gone, we have not made use of a single one of them. Because you can't make use of two Buddhas, can you? I mean, a man can have two, three, four, five, ten wives in one lifetime, but you can only make use of one Buddha. And for entirety. If you make use of one Buddha, that's it, you will not live to see another Buddha. Because this is the only thing that has an end to it. Because once you have erased this line and there is nothing in this world that you desire, why come back into this world? Why come back into an existence? Chittas are only born to perceive the things that they desire to see. That's why Chitta is born. That is why once ignorance and attachment have completely been eradicated. Now whatever energy has been charged, whatever energy has has been built up, that expires. That is consumed, and then after that, there is no more, the, the battery is no longer charged. So, therefore, once that energy has been consumed, that's it. No longer does the, chitta, does the chitta come back into seeing whatever, or smelling, or tasting, or hearing, or whatever. The only reason is because, you know, there are things you desire. When there are things you desire, you want to spend time with them, don't you? Who do you like spending your time with? Things you desire. Or rather, what do you like to spend time with? The things you desire. Who do you like to spend time with? The people you desire. So even when you are here, don't desire. Don't desire the things. Don't desire the people. Nibbana is your only salvation. Not Guru Hamduru. i Remember when the Buddha passed away, there were many monks who were there, who started weeping. Many. Uh, including who? <laughs> the I mean he remained because that was part of his paramita there was not a way that he would pass away before the Buddha passed away it was not possible but ultimately he suffered and that was because he hadn't become an arahant even if you become the chief attendant if you don't become an arahant you will suffer so who wants to be Guru Hamdha's chief attendant here? Volunteers? <laughs> do you think that's what Guru Hanuman would want of you? All he wants us to do is to become the Buddha's disciples, not his attendant. Because in becoming his disciple, you free yourself from suffering. Remember the other day I told you, once you become an Arahant, then you look at the world out there and you realize that your work has not even begun. Do you remember why and I gave you the logic behind that? Yeah? Because you become an arahant and then you realize it wasn't I who become an arahant. This is just a chitta that is no longer creating suffering. But there are plenty more chittas in which suffering happens so therefore it feels like they haven't even begun. Only one chitta out of An infinite number of chittas are free from suffering. So they haven't even begun. So the fight against ignorance and attachment has only just started. Yeah? So now think about what Guruhandra might want of all of us. You know, your teacher, what do you think he would want of us? His fight is the fight against ignorance and attachment if we want to be his supporters, if we want to be part of that fight, if we want to be soldiers of that battalion, then what we need to do is to wage the same war against the same enemy. Attendance is not what he's looking for. Fighters. Soldiers. Against ignorance. Because, you know, Let's just say someone here wishes to really become an attendant to Guru Handru. You know, your job finishes the moment he dies. What was the point of that? It's not like you can stop him from dying. Can you? So you are just doing something until his death. You are just doing something to maybe prolong his life. Maybe you can get him to live another week. If you attend to him and make life a little bit more convenient and comfortable for him, but it's not something you can ever win. One day you're going to lose. But if you, if your fight is against, is against ignorance and attachment, now you free yourself from ignorance and attachment. You become one who is capable of handling yourself and loving everyone unconditionally. Therefore, from then on, until your life Passes you by. All the years that you have left, you will continue sharing that message with as many others as possible, so that they can also achieve and aspire to the same same goals, achieve the same ambitions. In doing so, you create more Guru Hamsuras. That's what you do. To make someone's legacy live on, you just have to you just have to create people like like them. Would it be nice if you had another Mahatma Gandhi today? But when Mahatma Gandhi passed away, he didn't, He hadn't created another Mahatma Gandhi. That's what happened. When the Buddha passed away, he'd created several more Buddhas. They were not Samasam Buddhas, but they were Arahatta Buddhas. And those Arahata Buddhas were fully equipped. They were trained. They had mastered the art of creating even more Buddhas. So therefore, to this day, the Buddha prevails. Now if you want Guru Hamduru to live forever, there is a way you can do that. Shall we go and find that magic potion? It's in the Himalayas. <laughs> huh? The elixir that gives him immortality? Shall we go find it? It's within you. It's the Dhamma. If you want Guru Hanu to live forever and ever and ever and ever and always remain with us then there is only one thing you can do about that. Take the Dhamma become Guru. Guru is the teaching. Become a Hamadurva who, who bears the Dhamma. A Hamadurva is one who has freed oneself from ignorance and attachment. That is what a Hamadurva is. That is what a is. Hamuduru, Not Maduruo. Not like a <laughs> But a is one who has freed themselves from ignorance and attachment. Guru is a teaching. So there is the Dhamma and the Sangha to become Buddha. So Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha are all encompassed within Guru hamaduru So now if you want for Guru Hamaduru to forever remain with us, what must you do? Buddha? Tama, Sangha. Do that. And then within you will always live Guru Hanru, And then you will create another one. And then they will create another one. And then they will create another one. You know, it is the, the Buddha expected us to do this. He had a part for each and every one of us to play for the Sasana to prevail 5,000 years. You are all part of that. So don't take this responsibility lightly. You are all part of that. That is why you are here. I need you to understand that. That is why you are here. The Panchavagya, because they were there for a reason. They were there for a reason. Yasa was there for a reason with his friends. There was a reason. There was a reason it was them who were there. There was a reason. Because they all had a part to play to carry this baton. So then there is a reason why you are here. Don't take that lightly. There is a reason why you are monks. And there is a reason why you are anagarikama Yes, There is a reason why you are Siddhasavakas, Savikas, vasis and devotees. You all have a part to play in this asana. If you know that this is the only way, then this is the only place where the mind can be freed from suffering, then that teaching has to be there for many generations to come. Because you know what? In another 500 years, there will be people just like you. And although you believe and you feel that you are an individual and an identity who is different from that person in 500 years, that is only ignorance doing that to you. It is actually you in another way. That's so, all. Shall I say that again? Just so we all understand. In another 500 years, there's going to be someone who will benefit from the good work that you're doing right now to propagate the Buddha Sasana. Okay? I am proposing to you that that is you except they will feel just as you feel today that you are a different individual they will feel that they are a different individual but ultimately that is also you in your previous birth you were you right you were them but a different different spin on it in this birth that's you again just a different spin on it if ultimately you are just a bunch a bundle of energy into which ignorance has 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 taken over and therefore makes you feel that you are a separate in- entity ultimately you're just energy so if that is if that is what you believe is you then what about another bulb of energy another blob of energy somewhere else isn't that you that's also you so then for you to benefit from the buddha sasana in another 500 years you got to do today what you got to do so we are doing it for us ultimately not but yes if that didn't make sense just forget it <laughs> I'm trying to find ways in which to convince you that you all have a part to play. There's, a, there's, a, there's an important role that we all have to play. So work on these things, ladies and gentlemen. Find out what your limit is. If you love your son more than you love another child, there's a problem there. Because that is the limit of your love. Therefore the Buddha is yet to be born fully in your mind. If at least you understand that that is a problem, then we can say that you have seen the Buddha. He's he's approaching you. You have seen him, he's approaching you. But he has not taken seat within you yet. The day he takes seat within your mind, you don't love your son more than you love another. You love all the same. You love your enemy, because you don't have enemies, but those who consider you to be their enemy, You love them the same as those who consider you to be their friend. You love them the same. Praise and blame, you take them equanimously. Glory and defame, you take them equanimously. Loss and profit, you take them equanimously. Credit and discredit, take them equanimously. You accept all that because there is nothing you desire. So whatever comes, comes. Whatever comes, comes. Whatever goes, goes. Such a state of mind is a free state of mind. That's liberty. That's liberation. That's freedom. That's no suffering. That's Nibbana. Like I said, like I said right at the beginning, I say it again. This is possible now. I can see it's within reach. It's it is very much within reach. I can also almost smell it in the air. It's just there. Can't you? It's there. That taste of freedom. It's there. I can smell it. I can almost taste it. It's palpable. And it is, it'll be for all of you as well. For some of you, you, I know you, I know you know exactly what I mean when I say these words. For some, you know that it is a promise that will come to you. For some, it might be new. It is even possible, some might wonder. But those who have walked this path before us, they bear testimony that this is doable, they have done it, and they have shown how to do it. Now all we have to do is walk the path. And achieve the same that they have done. You just need a little bit of, little bit of energy from yourselves, a little bit of determination, a little bit of courage, a little bit of you know, keep going when things get a bit difficult, a little bit of application, even when there's the easier option, like you want cake and you go and eat your cake, right? A little bit of discipline. Just in those difficult moments, if you can, just you know, just one time, if you can do something a little bit different. Yesterday, listeners at the Singhala Sermon, they promised me that next time they will not eat cake again to free themselves from vexation. Let's hope they'll all keep to their promise. I said, eat cake. No problem in eating cake. Just don't eat cake to free yourself from vexation. Eating cake is not a problem. I'm not going to get you to sign a contract to say I will never eat cake again. Eat cake. Eat all the cake you can. That's fine. But just don't eat cake when you're vexed. (laughs) Because vexation has nothing to do with the presence or the absence of cake. Yes or no? Yeah. So then, why eat cake? You know, when your back if you, if your if your backside starts to you know gets itchy, what do you do? Just jump up and down, or do you go somewhere private and, <laughs> and scratch yourself? That's what you do because you know whatever the problem is, you go to address the problem. There's no point just you know beating around the bush. There's no point doing things that are unrelated to what the, the actual problem is. You have to do something that is relevant. Yeah? But, unfortunately, people out there, they're just doing things completely irrelevant. And so they're wasting away human life, precious time that they will never get back. You know, they don't know that the price that they're paying is the merits that they have earned. What a pity that is. We have all been given This is a God-given opportunity. God, Now you know what God is. This is a God-given opportunity to free ourselves from suffering, understand the truth. We've never had this chance before. I, I, I promise you, we've never had this chance before. We've never been so close to Nibbana, folks. We have never been so close to Nibbana. This is so close. I tell you, I can smell it. It's there. We've never been so close. That is why so many people, they are wanting to come and join us and be part of this mission so that they can achieve the same bliss. This bliss is, you know, everyone's entitled to this. Everyone. Whatever your creed, whatever your religion, whatever your race, whatever your social status, what background you come from, whether you're black or white, man or woman, able or disabled, this is a teaching that helps you be free from all suffering. There is no other teaching. I wouldn't speak about this so passionately if there was another way to do this. There isn't. There's only one way to free yourself from suffering and that is to eradicate attachment. (laughs) There isn't another. If you can, try and find out and let me know. But you go 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 be the guinea pig. You know, here in the audience are people who who are evidence that no other way works. For that, you just need to dip into your life experiences. Is it because I say so that you believe that there is no other way to free yourself from suffering? Hmm? Isn't your life evidence to that? Yeah, I mean, it's not like we all did the same things, right? I mean, if if we if we'd all done the same things, then you know we could be skeptical. But 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 Swamins, we haven't done that yet. So maybe it's in that we find happiness. No, there are people from all walks of life. There are people from all parts of the world. There are people who are mothers, who are yet to be mothers, who don't want to be mothers. They're all here. There are people who have done the best jobs in the world. There are people who are training, learning to do the best jobs in the world. And there are those who don't want to do jobs in. They're all here. So which one is the right path to free them from suffering? There you go then. It is not to be found anywhere else. I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak so positively and so passionately about the Buddha Sasana if there was another Sasana from which we could get this done. Honestly. You know, I mean, I had to, I had to give up my, my life to pick this, to pick this up. You know, I had to train myself as a monk. I had to go through all that. The training. And then making sure that I'd learned all the, all the, all the, all the rules of conduct and all that to make sure that i would not you know infringe any of them and i wouldn't violate any of them i had to do all that training you know so this this is a completely different lifestyle i gave up my friends gave up my family i gave up my parents gave up a lot of things a worldly life that was successful in many people's eyes if i had remained in in my worldly life you know i i wouldn't today i wouldn't i can't even imagine where i'd be I gave up all that not because there's another choice, because there's no other choice. There is no alternative. And you are all the same. We are all the same. You know, everyone, we are all the same. You all understood that there is no other choice. Here's where the answer is you all have limits. These are the limits that keep you from attaining Nibbana. Identify those limits. See where you have drawn that line. See where, see, you know, ask yourself, what are the things that you haven't given up yet? Practice. Practice the Dharma. There could be material things. There could be non-material things. There could be people. There could be objects whatever the case might be, ask yourself, what are the things that limit me from loving unconditionally? What are the things that keep me? What are my limits that stop me from loving and having compassion and loving kindness towards all sentient beings? Find those limits and get to work on them. And all you have to do is to reflect on Anicca. Anicca will let you, lead you to understand Dukkha. Dukkha will lead you to understand Anatta. You can start with either one of them, or any one of them. Start with Anicca, you can go to Dukkha and Anatta. You can start with Dukkha and go to Anicca and Anatta. You can start with Anatta and go to Anicca and Dukkha. Whatever works fine, is fine. There is no hard and fast rule there. But as long as you've understood one way, then you needn't go and explore the other ways are also, because we are here for a purpose, right? If you have one, one way to get across the stream, why go look for many more? You just need one way to get across the stream. If getting across the stream is what you want to do. So we all have now a way to get get across. We just need to do that. So whatever you have understood in terms of Dhamma, it is high time we start practicing it. And it is very important that you keep continuing that practice, folks. This is very much doable. I just want, soon enough, for one of us, one of us, it doesn't have to be me, it doesn't have to be anyone in particular, I just want one of us to one day come up here and say, done it. I long for that day. (laughs) Don't sit there thinking, that's going to be Guru Haundarul. Because I know that's the thought that comes into your mind right now. That's going to be Guru Haundarul. Why have you given up the fight against Jati? Why do you feel it's not you? Because jati is jati is jati. There's no Guru Hamdurus jati and my jati. It's jati. If we all fight together, because we are waging the same war, right? it matters not who gets there. I just want one of us. Even if it's someone from another monastery somewhere, or some other part of the world. But they have to be genuine. And they have to be able to convince us that it has happened for them. And that they have walked the path, and, the, and not just them walking the path, but they have now to be able to guide others. Otherwise, what's the point? They have to be able to guide others. Because we are not here to just celebrate a Rahatan Vansi, We are here to celebrate the truth that gets to becoming a Rahatan Vansi, so that it's accessible and available to everyone, right? That's the whole point. That's what the Buddhas come into this world for. Not Pachaka Buddhas, they are Supreme Buddhas. So, even if there's someone else somewhere who can come and say, I have become a Rahatan Mahansa and here's the path so that every one of you can now walk that path and attain the same enlightenment that I have. That's what I want. Unfortunately, from time to time you get Arahants, they tell they are Arahants, but they don't tell us how to become one. What good is that Arahant to everybody else? They don't teach you how to become one of them. It seems like, you know, they are superior to everybody else. But if jati is what they have eradicated and chittas are what remain, then shouldn't they see another chitta with jati? And now shouldn't their life's effort be, their life's purpose be to free every other chitta from jati? That is the arahant that I expect to see. So I want one of us, any one of us, even the youngest child in this room, to come up and say, done it, kina jati. So then what will we do? We'll get him to sit here or her to sit here. We'll all come, you know, take our seats over there and say, Venerable Sir, Venerable Madam, please deliver us from suffering by teaching us the truth. That's it. (laughs) We are here for that. May that a day come soon enough for all of us. It's there. I can sense it. It's there. I can smell it. It's almost, you can almost taste it. So if it's there, then all of us can do it. So be honest to yourself. Be diligent with your practice. Don't just be practicing while you're here and be doing something else when you're back at home. I remember Guru Hanru saying yesterday, I think it was, that if you're just practicing while you're here, just practicing for this, during the course of the sermon, but when you're outside, if you're not reflecting on it, if you're not actually practicing when you're not here, Nibbana is never going to happen for you because Nibbana happens in the moment. And every moment that you reflect on Nibbana is another step forward on that journey. So each step takes you a step further. And each step in Ayana Manasikara takes you a step back. That's the thing. So in every Chitta, ladies and gentlemen, you are either moving a step forward or you are moving a step back. You are never still with this. Did you get that? You are never still. None of us are still here on this journey. You are either taking a step forward or you are taking a step back. So if you go to the Valimalu, for instance, and you reflect on Anicidu Kanatha for one hour, you have moved forward by one hour. And then you walk out of the Valimaluva, now you go and take your meal, and then for the next two hours, you're contemplating, you're, you know, enjoying your meal and only thinking about how delicious and how yummy and how it's not good, you know, this, that and the other, and you wish you had another this, that or whatever, right? Now you're not contemplating Anicidu Kanatha, and that two hours you moved back. Until you get to one of the fruits. Fruits meaning? Not the lunch roots. Until you get to one of the margapada. Right? At that point you stop going back. But then again from there on you have to keep practicing yourself. So what I am asking you all to do is. I am asking all of you. This is my ask of all of you. Let's all get together and try and, and, and create the Rahatan As soon as we can. Let's produce a Rahatan Right? Whatever effort you can make. Whatever you can commit to this cause. Let's do that. So that we don't have to wait for another hundred years to 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 give rise to a rathamvansh amongst ourselves, a genuine rathamvansh, not this fake nonsense. A genuine rathamvansh who is free of suffering and then who can deliver and teach other people the path to freedom from suffering, who has no desires and who can see all as their own children, and limitless love and boundless compassion. I tell you, I mean, why why is it not a Sivashavika Mahatma? Who becomes that? Why not? Why is it not a Nanagarika Mahatma? Why not? Why not a Sivashavika Mahatma? Why not a Sivashavika? Why not a monk? Why not a devotee? Upasakas and Upasikas, why not? If this is all the Sasana, the Sasana is for everyone, but what matters is how diligently we practice. So on behalf of everyone, not just yourself, on behalf of everyone, stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your time on behalf of everyone, not just yours. Because we all need a Rahatan Vahansi. Once we have a few, you can go waste your time, it's fine, because now we have a few. But we, we don't have anyone yet. So, we are all waiting for that first flower to blossom. And when the first flower blossoms, then the bees will come. And then, they will start pollinating the whole forest. And then we will have a forest full of blossom flowers. And the, full, the whole forest will start to smell fragrant. But we need that first flower first. And where is that flower going to bloom? I am trying my best. And I want each and every one of you to try your best. Because we are here for a big cause. It's a great mission. This is the grandest mission there is. Nothing bigger than this. Nothing more profound than this. Nothing more sublime or more noble than this. This is the noble cause. Let's all be part of that. Let's all do this one for all and all for one. We must all strive to create that one product that is the product of the Buddha's Asana. And each and every one of us must strive to create as many within all of us those blossoms of Rahatan Vahanses. We have the Dhamma. We know where you are going. We have the Sangha to guide us. What are you waiting for? So let's get on it. Right, let's do a merit transfer and conclude for today. Let us all take a moment then to transfer all the merits that we have acquired and listening to the Dhamma, preaching the Dhamma, inviting the Swami Nuhansu to deliver the Dhamma, as well as creating a conducive environment so that many could come along and practice the path and achieve their salvation. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in the presence of the noble teaching, the teaching of the Buddha, that has been passed down to us through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let has also transferred this merits to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path, and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. It has also transferred these merits to the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. It has also transferred these merits to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhansi, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery, and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. It has also taken a moment to transfer these merits to all those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, including those who make great efforts to to transliterate these talks, share them out with others or invite others to join them. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us transfer these merits to friends of the monastery, our devotees, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who continue to extend their know-how and pass on their well-wishes. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments in overcoming obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employees, our employers, anyone and everyone who's gone the extra mile on our behalf helped us supported us and assisted us in any way shape or form may they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcoming obstacles to their spiritual progress may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds fulfill the meritorious deeds fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nirvana. sadhu 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 let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and rakshasas, spirits and demons Primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the Nimitz gods and deities who have committed themselves to fulfill the Sasana and preserve the Sasana. May they all rejoice in this merits. Let us also transfer this merits to our guardian deities who so keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who have passed away in our name. Our forefathers, our loved ones, our ancestors, reminding ourselves that it is in their blood, sweat and tears today we are able to enjoy the comforts of life as well as to practice the path in peace and harmony. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who, members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. Let us also transfer these merits to those men and women who have lost their lives in the war, be they friend or foe. Let us transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives in natural disasters and calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires and floods, pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of samsara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, friends and acquaintances to us. They will have done everything in their power to make our lives comfortable and livable. Therefore, out of loving compassion, kindness, and an abundance of gratefulness and gratitude towards all of them, let us transfer these merits to all. May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfil the meritorious deeds, fulfil the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And may you and I and everyone whose help helped make this program a success become a Rahatan Mahanse or a Narahateranin Mahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gen be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you.
1: Rāga ginnan mithatm vā Dveśa ginnan mithatm vā Moha vā Nibbāna parama sukha Sukhita Tare Vetna Nibbana Parma Sukhayan Sukhita Tare Vetna Siyalu Loka Siyalu Nibbana parma sukhayen Sukhita tarah vetnva Nibbana parma sukhayen Sukhita tarah vetnva Nibbana sukhayen sukhita tara vetan Raga-gini-ni-veva gini ni veva moha gini ni Nivan seppel abeva Nivan seppel abeva Nivan seppel abeva Tunruangi, Suvisyananta Mahaguna Belen, SIRULOKA loka silo satayom, Nibana paramasuke and Sukta tara
0: SADHU Sado, sado,